so many of you. I'm very, very excited. I feel very grateful and very blessed that all of you are here tonight and that I get to serve as the women's director. I am very humbled tonight um, and very, very excited. So welcome to all of you. So we're going to mix things up a little bit tonight and I'm actually going to share with you first and we will have worship. So don't worry, you'll get to hear Krista. Okay. Uh, but you'll get to hear from me first and then we will praise Jesus together. Um, so if you ladies will join me as I open up this night in prayer, Lord, I thank you so much. We praise you today. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for being our Lord and savior. Um, and we just exalt your name. I thank you for these ladies, Lord, that I love so much. May they feel loved and cared for by you today. Um, I ask that you open every single one of ours, our ears, our minds, our hearts, our spirits, to specifically hear what you have for each of us individually. Um, And Lord, I just ask that every single word that comes out of my mouth and the attitude that it's said and the tone that it's said is reflective of what you want to be Um, said what you want to be heard, Lord. We give this night to you with 100% focus on you, Jesus. We thank you and we praise you. Amen. 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 Woohoo. Yes. Okay. So I want everybody to start tonight to think of the last time that you participated in a fire drill. Yes, I know. We're not going to participate in one. Don't everybody panic and like, I got to get my purse real quick. Hold on. (laughs) But I want you to think, okay, so everybody's laughing because people act weird during fire drills. Um, So everybody think of how did everybody behave during the fire drill? And very specifically, what was the level of seriousness during the drill? Um, So I am a high school teacher, for those of you that don't know. And at school, it is by law required that we participate in a fire drill every single month. And so more often than not, we do... We have no, um, like, surprise about the fire drill. They're very ordinary, and they're always at the same time. Uh, So at our school, they don't have any variety. Uh, They do them at exactly 9.30 in the morning on the last Tuesday of the month. So you can, you can imagine that because they are teenagers, um, they aren't taking this routine very seriously. Um, and they almost always assume that it's pretend, even though we have had real fires before, they always like, oh, it's just a drill, whatever. And they get very sarcastic and they say things like, we know this isn't real. And they're like, we know how to walk out of a building. I'm trying, this is my, like my best, uh, te- uh, teenager impersonation. And they're like, Miss G, um, it's very hot outside and and I'm sweating and melting, and I don't have my sunscreen, and I don't want to be out here. And then the really sarcastic ones are like, yeah, we get to miss class. We get to, and I'm like, oh, you stinker. You're, you're still taking your test. And <laughs> because we've had a dirty test. And I had a student one time, he, I was on the second floor, and he was trying to pretend like he was going to jump out of the window because he said he didn't want to burn to death. And then I had another student who dove under my desk, and he said that the blaring noise was so loud that it scared him, so he had to hide. And I'm like, well, your logic is interesting, kid, but okay, whatever you want to do. So while we are participating in this routine 
fire drill, um, some of the students have a lot of apathy and some of them are very silly and some of them just don't care, um, but we have to do it. And it's just very, very standard. It's very ordinary. It's very um, just routine. It's not, it's not anything exciting or special. Yeah, the kids even at, you know, 16 can acknowledge that a fire drill is important and they will participate in it. We, we've never had a kid that's like, I'm not going to go outside. Um, but it, there's, there's not anything special about it. Um, and so the level of seriousness for the fake drill or unfortunately even sometimes the real one is very, very low. And so telling all this story to ask you all, looking at this routine of the fire drill. Um, Is your relationship with God just routine? Is your relationship with God just routine? And sometimes I feel like we um, let Jesus become our routine, not our existence. And that's very easy to do. And I feel that oftentimes what is routine usually loses all meaning for us, which is exactly what we see happening to the students because they've done it since kindergarten and they just have to keep doing it. And so there's not a real, a lot of heart behind it. So for example, at night, I have what I call my nightly routine. And this is like legit what I call it is my nightly routine. And I will wash my face because I'm trying to stay young looking. And I will, and I will brush my teeth because I don't want any cavities, uh, but also because I really think it's gross if you don't brush your teeth. And then I put on lotion because I want to have um, like soft skin because I get dry in the winter. And then I will put my alarm to snooze for like six or seven times. That's really the truth. And I have a problem. Somebody can help me with that later how I can sleep better. And then I will um, go through all the process, take my vitamins. And almost every night I follow this routine to completion. Okay. But um, oftentimes I find myself almost dreading having to do this because it can kind of be a little bit lengthy. And I put on like the really good mascara and I have to like scrub to get it off. And I'm just like, I want to go to bed. So when I'm ready for the end of the night, I just want to throw myself in the covers and read or like, I'm really obsessed with um, Chopped right now on Food Network channel. So I want to watch that and not have to like brush for the full two minutes like the dentist says. And so I, like, I acknowledge that this is an important routine. Like, in the grand scheme, okay, like, I would like my skin to look nicer, no cavities, because I have never had a cavity. But, (laughs) but, and while it's beneficial, it's not, like, ridiculously life-changing, okay? I don't have a lot of heart put into it, and if I changed it a little bit, or if I even skipped a few days, like, what is actually going to happen to me? Maybe some horrible breath, but it's not going to be, like, detrimental to my existence, okay? Like, I'm still going to be able to function as a normal human, just not as close to other humans. Um, so it, it's, it's, like, such an ordinary part of my day that I don't even think about it, and that's what we let our relationship with God become. He's just a part of the day. He's just a part of the week or the month or the holiday or a women's event. He's just the routine, and we don't see any heart behind it. And again, I am really strongly believing that what is routine usually loses all meaning to us. And just think about the routines that you have um, in your own life. So where is God? Is God our fire drill? Something we do because we have to or because we're told to do it, um, but it doesn't really hold a whole lot of value. Um, Or is he everything in our life or just a part of our life? So I've called tonight 
um, an authentic life. That's our fun title. Okay, but it was really in hopes of spending time reflecting on how we are following God and what our relationship and interaction specifically look like with him. So we're going to start by looking at specifically what the definition of authentic is. Maybe that's just the teacher in me that I'm like, i got to get to the root of this. Um, So authentic is to be made or done the same way as an original or in a way that faithfully resembles an original. So it's real, it's actual, and it's genuine. So when we transfer this definition over to our spiritual walk with God, an authentic life therefore means that we have intimate relationship with God. He is our personal Lord and Savior, and we are constantly um, growing that relationship. And I I asked them to put some emphasis there on intimate relationship, personal Lord, and constantly growing. So then how do we do that? How do we grow and foster and maintain an authentic life? A life that is real, that's genuine, a life that is not ordinary and is definitely not routine. And what I feel is what we have to do is we just have to look at the original. We have to look at the source, and we definitely have to look to God. And um, we're going to read today Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. And I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. And this is what it says. It says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So therefore, to imitate means to follow as a pattern, a model, or an example. It means to mimic someone. So if we are um, an imitator, an imitator is a person who copies the behaviors or the actions of someone else. So we are to copy the behaviors, the actions um, of God, of Jesus. And we're looking to the Bible as a guide for this all the time. So very simply put, authentic living means that we are imitating Jesus. Authentic living means that we are imitating Jesus. So here, here's where comes Amanda's confession time to all of you um, in regards to my imitating of God. Um, I have to admit that I have not always done the best at that, so don't anybody like throw anything at me. Um, I have to admit that there have been many moments and many seasons in my life where I have not um, made God the priority. I've made him my routine, not my existence. And it's sometimes very easy for that to happen as someone who grows up into the church or is all about the church experience. And I have had characteristics and I have had tendencies and I have, be- have had behaviors of not being more like Jesus, um, but being more like Judas. Okay. And And yes, I'm talking about Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus with a kiss and started his death. And so everybody just hang with me because I know that that's very extreme, okay? Um, Because I just want to have like very real talk. I think that there have been times and moments where I have acted way more like Judas than like Jesus, and I'm going to explain. And for me, there was a lot of debate about calling this night, Don't Be a Judas. (laughs) Like, I wanted that to be the title. I went back and forth. I was like, authentic life, don't be a Judas. Because I feel like when you hear anything about Judas, like, you're just like, it takes your breath away. Like, you can't help but think of Jesus' death when you hear that name. And so 
I am just drawn to, to that statement, but authentic want out. And the reason why authentic want out is because it completely embodies this idea of imitating God. And that's really what needs to be the focus, not Judas. We're going to learn from him, but he is not our focus. Jesus is our focus. And I have become absolutely fascinated with Judas's life for several months now. And since starting my studies into his life and knowing that I was going to talk about him this evening, I keep catching myself saying, don't be a Judas. Amanda, don't be a Judas. You were a Judas then. Don't do that now. Um, And does that sound extreme? I will admit, yes, it probably does sound extreme. Okay, comparing myself to Judas. But he had access to Jesus and I have access to Jesus. He was a sinner and I am a sinner. He was around Jesus, and I am around Jesus. So that seems like enough common ground for me. And if anything, we should be looking at every single person and every single thing in the Bible and learning from it. So that's where I'm uh, taking us with Judas today. And I feel like when I say, oh, I have confession time, that many of you thought I'm going to share like a deep, dark secret. (laughs) And I'm sorry to disappoint you, okay? Um, Because a major issue that we have that we face, that I have faced, that a lot of people that are in the church world face is our relationship with God. It's not necessarily a huge sin issue or a struggle. And I say that because um, we have the sin issues or the struggles because our relationship with God is not authentic. Okay, so we have sin issues and we have struggles because our relationship with him is not authentic. So tonight we're going to look at, shall we say, the like villain of the Bible and what exactly he did, what we should not be doing, what we need to stop doing if we are following what he did. Okay, aside from the betrayal part, I don't, you know, that was another thing. Uh, So the story of Judas can serve as a cautionary tale to us, especially, especially to those of us that are already saying we are followers or disciples of Christ, because that's what Judas did. He said he was a follower of Christ. He was follow, literally following Christ. Um, So we're going to look at Judas's life and we start today in Mark 3, 13 through 19. And this is where we see the call of the disciples, which includes Judas. And this is Jesus And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed the twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach, and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, and we see the list of the twelve here. And at the very end of the list, we see Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And so what we know is a disciple is a follower of someone. So these 12 men are Jesus's followers. They have been appointed and they are his closest confidants. They're his companions. Um, They are to learn from him. They are to help him. And they are definitely supposed to serve other people. So these are Jesus's guys. They're his people. And he's showing them, number one, how to love God, and number two, how to love people. And, and we can still model this today as shown to us in Matthew 22. And he instructs them very specifically on how to spread the gospel, on how to share their faith. And so looking just at their lives, we're told the professions of some of the disciples. They, some of them were fishermen, some of them were tax collectors before following um, Jesus. We do not know Judas's profession before becoming the treasurer for Jesus, the one who was in charge of the finances, which is ironic, yes. Um, all of the men except for Judas were from Galilee. 
And Judas was from Judea. So he already starts out as an outsider, and he's not as familiar with the other men as maybe they are with each other. And we see that Judas follows Jesus throughout his three years of ministry, like day in and day out, hardcore, on the ground every single day. And at the same time, there are many other people that are following Jesus. And and some of them are there for a lengthy amount of time, and some just come and go. Um, Some are there out of, like, authentic, sincere hearts. They want to, they acknowledge who Jesus is, and they want to be a part of that. While some of them are there to question Jesus, um, to ridicule, to debunk him, um, to, to see what's going on. And we see that even in our church world, that everyone's motives and um, intentions are different. And Judas, unfortunately, is there for selfish, ambitious reasons. And many think, and I have thought this too, like, why? Why did Jesus let the betrayer... Um, stay in the inner circle? Why did he allow him to be so close to him? And what I know is that Jesus knew what he was doing. When we have to remember that, that he knew then and he knows now. And Judas, Jesus, excuse me, knew that Judas was going to betray him. And multiple times we see this in the Bible where um, Jesus alludes to this. He talks about, one of you will betray me. And so Jesus allows Judas to be there, and Judas wanted it. He was always, Judas was always led by money and by greed. And being around Jesus would help him to rise. And many of the disciples were lacking and were definitely struggling, which can be super encouraging to us that the men that were around Jesus were lacking and were struggling. But what we see is when they come to Jesus uh, through spiritual growth and maturity, they have life change. But that's not happening for Judas. More often than not, Judas's desire to be around Jesus was not to grow or to change or to serve other people. It was a situation of, uh, for Judas of what can I get from Jesus, not what I can give to Jesus. And he was a man that was filled with greed, and money was his priority. The desire for wealth and worldly possessions were his temptations. So we see this man who has an opportunity to change, um, as we saw the other disciples, yet he doesn't. And yet he's doing all of the same things that the other men are doing. He is following Jesus. He is performing miracles. He's passing out food. He's witnessing. Um, He's a part of demons being cast out. He is in ridiculously close proximity to the Lord. And what we know is Judas did not do a lot of things right, especially in the end. But what is wild about it is he had the most access to right. He had the most access to righteousness, to the light, to the source, and yet he did not access any of it. He did all the things that he should not have done. And if anybody in the world got to see it for themselves, saw it with their own eyes, heard it with their ears, tangibly walked with Jesus, it was Judas And we're saying that having an authentic life means that we're imitating Jesus. So what the huge issue here for Judas is, is he's around Jesus, and he's around Jesus' followers, but he does not imitate Jesus. And so we're told in John 21, 25, and and this verse just like gets me every time. You have to have like a moment to soak it in. It says, now there are also many other things that Jesus did, were every one of them to be written I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would have been written. Let you take that in for a second while I get my water. 
So Judas is hearing the truth constantly, over and over and over again. And yet we see that there's something wrong, that Judas's heart is hardened, and he has the wrong intentions, and he has the wrong motives. And there are so many things that we could speculate are happening. You could go read tons of commentary on, on Judas's life. But what I, I feel that regardless of all the specifics, that Judas did not have that personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. He had a relationship with Jesus. Um, he had a relationship of walking with him, of listening, of, of talking with him. Um, there was this sense of brotherhood because we know that there are times where they're breaking bread together, and that was a very intimate moment for people in Bible times. Um, but it was not a complete, authentic, genuine relationship. And we can relate that to our own lives today. All of our relationships with people look completely different. Um, yes, I have a relationship with my coworkers and with my dental hygienists and with the girl, the barista at Starbucks. Like, we're like on a first name basis, me and her. And I cannot say that those relationships are the same as the ones that I have with my mom or the relationship I have with my brother or my best friend. They're not at all. And we can spend all this time around people like our classmates and our coworkers, more time than we spend with the people that we say we love the most. Um, and yet the intimacy level is not level because what it is, is it's not about um, necessarily the closeness or proximity, but about the depth of the relationship. And so here uh, we see that there's a point where Judas is just doing the disciple thing. Um, what we say in a modern church world, they were playing church um, he's kind of doing good, but really not doing any good at all. Um, and it's almost like a, a mask, a facade that he's putting on. It's, it's a kind of deception, um, unfortunately, for those around him and also for himself. And God can and does use things for good, but Judas wasn't really doing anything and his path was quite rotten. And so what we see as the story continues for Judas is that um, sin consumes him. And instead of having a renewal of his heart and renewal of his mind uh, for Jesus, he um, allows sin to win and he allows Satan to take over. And so here's where we're left in the story of the betrayal. And we see in Matthew 26, 14 through 16, and it says this, and it says, Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and he said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment on, he sought an opportunity to betray him. So we know that Judas goes and he takes these 30 pieces of silver. And being like the, the research um, enthusiast that I am, I'm looking at that. And a lot of scholars have said that 30 pieces of silver was actually a ridiculously low amount of money. Especially for for how much they wanted Jesus. And it's like all that time spent with Jesus to gain wealth, and he's offered such a little sum. Um, so he goes and he kisses Jesus, betrays him, and this is what ultimately starts his death, his resurrection, and that baseline for where we stand in our faith, for where we stand um, to have access to a personal relationship. And what is just wild is that Judas had the opportunity to hear, just as the other disciples do. And we unfortunately talk a lot about poor Peter, who denied three, Jesus three times, and he's somehow stained with that information. But what I applaud Peter for, and what unfortunately Judas struggles with, is that Peter comes back. He comes back to Jesus. He repents. And 
even Judas, even in the magnitude of his deception, even in the magnitude of this sin, he could have done that as well. Every, there's never anything that takes us too far that we can't come back. And he had, it tells us in the Bible, Judas had immense guilt. He was tormented. He had anguish over what he had done to Jesus. And he, again, does not do things right. He tries all these worldly, man-made ways to say that I'm sorry. And he goes, and, and I imagine him even thinking, like, well, if I give the money back, everything will be okay now. Or if I take my life, everything will be okay now. And it's like it wasn't, it's like, Judas, it wasn't about paying penance. It wasn't about trying to reverse what you had done. Like, it was happening. There was no coming back from this betrayal. Um, but it's like you can't, you can't reverse it. It's nothing that we can do. Sin can only be redeemed by the Redeemer. And struggle in our life can only be overcome by the Savior. So we do this. We try everything and anything to wipe away the guilt, to try and get over a sin, to not do it again, to be a better person. We do all of our self-help stuff to acknowledge or to overcome this issue or that issue. Um, But we are not looking at the source. We don't acknowledge, okay, who we are and who he is. And it's about him being our savior. It's about repenting and meaning it. It's about surrendering. It's, it's that moment of choosing joy over defeat. Um, it's about having that intimate, authentic relationship where we are actively working towards uh, growing with him. And oftentimes, we're trying everything in our power, in our circumstance. We're trying to cling on to a friend or cling on to a message. And it's like, no, like, this is personal. This needs to be a moment of surrender. And it's all about having that relationship and allowing the Holy Spirit to reign in in your life. And it's about being reflective and about taking accountability for ourselves. These are my actions. This is my relationship with God. And I love this verse, and I'm going to read the whole thing because it's powerful. It's very powerful. It says in 1 John 1, we're going to look at 5 through 10, and it says this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is the light... We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from sin, thankfully. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So here we see that God is light. He is pure. He guides us. He illuminates. He is glorious. He is beautiful. The list could just go on and on, radiant and wonderful. And we should walk in that light. Um, We don't want to be hypocrites and living in the darkness. And Judas did not have that personal relationship. And he did not have true fellowship with God. And therefore, he was living in, in darkness. And what I see is Judas was living there with Jesus, and he was around these men who were trying to grow and serve, but it was not authentic. It was not real. It was pretend. It was a routine. And this happens to us in a number of ways. Sometimes we don't care. Um, Sometimes we don't realize the value of God. 
we haven't dived all in. We let ourselves be deceived by what the world is telling us or what other people are telling us. And so how do I look more like Jesus and less like Judas? How do I look more like Jesus and less like Judas? And true, genuine, authentic imitation of Jesus is needed, always. Because we don't want to fall into the same behaviors and tendencies that Judas took on, where he thought it was enough just to be around Jesus and Jesus' things. Um, So we're going to look at three practical lessons. If there's nothing else that you have grabbed a hold of as we're as we've been talking about Judas here they are just very plainly laid out of what I take um, some of the things I take from Judas's life so the first one is the baseline of our relationship with God is to accept him as our personal Lord and Savior and a big and here and to continue to grow that relationship it's not a, a stop here okay I love you and I accept you and that's the end we have to continue to grow that relationship and we see In Colossians 2, 6 through 7, it says this, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in faith, just as you were taught. So if you say that you are saved, there should be evident life change in your personal, your private, and your public walk with him. And the relationship should be constantly growing and developing. There should be a sense of maturity happening with that. And so what I see in Judas's relationship with Jesus, it was based on physical closeness. Physical closeness and not spiritual closeness. And there's a huge difference there. Um, just because, I, I think of this, just because you spend time in a hospital does not make you a nurse. Um, just, you know, just because you spend in a certain place, it's not, it's not, it's not going to happen. And and just because you spend time in this building does not mean that your relationship with God is in the right standing. And I feel like that's very important for us to soak in so that we can move forward in our relationship with God instead of just letting it stand still. And so, um, you are ultimately responsible for it. And so you have to take care of it. You cannot let it become routine and you cannot let it become mundane because routine is not a sustaining and thriving life. And you definitely can't live off the relationship of other people that they have with Jesus and you cannot survive. You cannot survive with having the church experience once a week. And the church experience has great value and is highly important and you should be involved in that, but you cannot have that be your only thing, your only experience with Jesus. And my uncle said this illustration uh, very perfectly. He told me this a, a couple of weeks ago, and it like was awesome. He said, some of us come on Sunday morning, and we get filled, and we're coming to learn. And it is very important to come and to learn from someone who has been appointed by God and who is going to spend the time uh, to learn and to reveal knowledge. Um, but we leave with our um, doggy bag or like our to-go container. And it has like a good word here or a good scripture here. And what we do is we expect that doggy bag to last us until the next come around. And I am like the leftover queen. Like I live off of leftovers as a teacher. If I didn't have leftovers, I wouldn't eat. And 
And as much as I love leftovers and my family makes fun of me for it, I am not going to eat those after two or three days. And they're definitely not going to last me the full five-day week. It's just, it's not going to happen. And so we, we do this. We take our doggy bag, or what's even worse is we put the doggy bag in the car, and then we have to throw it away because it sat there overnight. Or we didn't even take the doggy bag home with us to begin with because we're like, I'm too good for leftovers. I don't need any of that. And it's like, that's horrible. Like, that's not a sustaining life. The, the 30 minutes that you're learning or that 30 minutes of praising God is not going to hold up with just the doggy bag. It's not. And if that's what you've been living, like I'm here to tell you, you've got to start looking at, at your relationship with him differently. Because we can be around God all day, every day. But if he isn't our personal Lord and Savior, then we are not in right standing. Like at all. We have to have a focus on life change where every day I look more like Jesus and less like anything else, less than the world, that I am constantly looking at the Bible to guide me to that. I'm constantly praying to guide me through that. I'm constantly seeking the Holy Spirit to guide me through that because we cannot be bystanders and we cannot be observers. Bottom line, Judas was fake. He didn't love God and he was making it all about himself. All right, so let's look at the second thing that I pull from Judas's life. And it says this, God should be our top priority. The desires of our heart should line up with his. So let's look at Matthew 6, 33. And this is what it says. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things will be added to you. So as we see, Judas's top priority was money and wealth. He was selfish and he was self-centered and he definitely loved the world more than he loved God. And it's easy for us to fall into the same path, um, maybe just with different priorities. Maybe it's money for you, but it could be a, a, a host of other things. And we have to make sure that God is at the very top, above our family and above our church, above our job above our hobbies, above um, our current and future hopes and desires. That's a big one. Above our pain, above our disappointment, above everything. Because when he is our focus, when he is our focus, we have an appropriate attitude and mentality about life and our purpose in it. Okay, so when he is our focus, we have an appropriate attitude and mentality about life and our purpose in it. Because we get so busy, I know I do, concerned with all these like other worldly things that don't matter. We get sucked into the latest trend, to a current event, to the talk of the moment, of this cause and of that cause. And the basis needs to always be God. It needs to always be his word. Um, everything we, should, we do should be God-driven. And we waste so much time on trivial things that it's, it would almost sicken us if we wrote a list down of all the things that we prioritize over God. Because ultimately, we should be loving him, and we should be loving people. And everything else is going to work out for us if we love him and we love people. So then moving on to the final thing, the third thing that we can learn from Judas's life is that we need to put effort into imitating God. When we do sin or when we do struggle because it's going to happen, um, we have to immediately turn to the Savior to come on back. And uh, this, this verse that we're going to read, Matthew 7, 21 through 23, is profound, is huge. And it says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And so on that day, many will say to me, and this is heartbreaking, 
Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And we have to put effort into imitating God. So what does that mean? That means that we are actively trying. We are making an attempt. We are putting work into it. Um, And if there's anything that we've talked about tonight, I feel like every single one of us, including myself, we can do better at this all the time about imitating Jesus. And what does that look like specifically for you? Do you have to imitate him more in your prayer life? Imitate him more in your attitude? Imitate him more in your service to others? Um, And some ways that we can immediately start to imitate God that are some big stuff. Get out of sinful living immediately. Um, We can also uh, forgive, care for others, walk in love, share the gospel, definitely watch our words and our actions. And so how, how do I imitate him? Because that seems like an overwhelming task to say we're going to imitate Jesus. We pray. I mean, it's, not, it's, it's simplistic, but we pray. We read our Bible every day, every day. And we have a life of gratitude and of praise. And we, we simply make a choice. I mean, that's what it is. We make a choice to say, I'm going to rely on God, and I'm going to rely on the Holy Spirit, or I'm not. I'm making a conscious choice um, to choose God in eternity, or I'm choosing the world and I'm choosing hell. And I imagine this verse happening to a bunch of people in the church world, where it's like, but Lord, don't you remember I was sitting there with my Chick-fil-A nuggets while Amanda was talking? Um, Or don't you remember I sat every single Sunday in my spot listening to pastor? I I feel like people are going to say, they're going to be like that. I volunteered. Like, what are you telling me? And it's like, it's like, okay, great. I'm glad you were there every Sunday. And I'm glad you were there when Amanda talked. And I'm glad you volunteered. But you didn't have a relationship with me. You were fitting me into your life. I wasn't your life. And my heart sometimes breaks more for church people. That's probably why I'm standing up here, not somewhere else than unchurched people because we know better, because we hear the word, because we've had opportunities and we squander it. And I know I've done that before. We squander the relationship that we can have with him and the mighty power that he can give us to live this life and live it to the fullest. And I want the Holy Spirit to stir up all of us tonight, every single one of us, because I know that I need that. I need that every single day. I need the Holy Spirit telling me, you're doing well in this area and you've got to work on this area. And it's a big responsibility to serve God. It is. I I acknowledge that. It's not to be taken lightly. But man, it's such a joy. And it's such an honor. It's such a privilege to serve him. And we have to treat it with the respect that it deserves. We're always trying to be like God. But we know and we acknowledge that we can't be. Um, but we, that we constantly need him. And it's important for us post-Judas time and post-Jesus and the death and resurrection to call on the Holy Spirit to do a working in our lives because we are fleshly beings and we know that we are sinful in nature and we cannot, we cannot do it on our own. We can't do it by ourselves. And to those of you that truly love God, I really want to applaud you tonight. And I want to encourage you to continue to elevate and to mature in your relationship with him. Because, ladies, the world is in desperate, desperate need for some soldiers who will go out with boldness and will, with courage and will say, I serve the almighty God and will share their faith. I, 
we need some soldiers, ladies, in here that are going to partner with me and say, we're giving it all. We are going to surrender all to him. We're saying enough is enough. It's all about him. It's all about, it's, it's, it's life for me. This is life or death serving him. It's his glory. It's his purpose. It's his kingdom above everything else, above everything else. And I, I have to um, insert a personal story right here to explain to you my illustration. Today, I got to go with my brother and my sister-in-law, Bianca, and I got to go with them to the hospital. She's 19 weeks along, expecting in December, and I got to find out if I'm having an Easter nephew, and I'm very, very excited. I can't tell anybody. I'm supposed to keep it secret until the 18th when we have our family together for a party, and I'm struggling. I feel like maybe I'm struggling more than they're struggling, but I don't know, and I, I just like And I know a lot of you ladies are going to understand this. You're going to understand this because it's been a relationship, like a romantic relationship or a child relationship. I have not seen this baby. I've not heard this baby. I've not held this baby. But my gosh, every time I see Bianca's belly grow, like she gets mad at me and I'm like, I want to see your belly huge. Because it's, to me, there's a baby in there. Like, it's exciting. Like, I want the baby to start kicking like crazy because I want to feel it. Like, I'm going to be that crazy auntie. Like, anybody wants to go shopping with me, we will go buy baby clothes. And it's, like, crazy to me how much I am falling more and more in love with this baby and how much I, I didn't even know, like, I could love Bianca even more because she's giving me a niece or nephew. I'm, like, I'm, like, so, like, all into this experience, and I love the baby more and more every single day, and I think of how our lives are going to change, how my mom's going to be a grandma, how my brother is going to be running around with a child and changing diapers, and I'm falling more and more in love over and over, and I'm, like, oh, my gosh, I have to equate that to my relationship with God. I want to fall more and more and more in love with him every single day. I can't see him, but man, I can, I, I just like, you, you feel it. You know, you know, baby's over there and I love baby and I'm excited. And so man, if we could just keep loving God, like equate that to something in your own life that you kept loving more and more every day, every day, your kids, your spouse, whatever it may be every day. And man, I want my relationship with God to look like that more and more every single day. I'm more and more obsessed with you, God, every single day, every single day. I want you to think about these things, okay? Do you love God or the world more? Do you love God or the world more? And I want you to ask yourself, do I like the idea? This is big. Do I like the idea of church and the idea of Christ in heaven but still care more about the world, still care more about myself than about Jesus. And it's easy to get into that, into that situation. Does your life look more like Judas? Does your life look more like the world? Or does it look more like Jesus? Because ultimately, having an authentic life with him means that we are imitating Jesus. We are imitating him every day. And the Lord is going to look at the sincerity of our hearts. I can make a guess. Oh, that person's got it. That person, I, I can't, I, I don't know that. And it's, I shouldn't even be doing that, right? We shouldn't do that. It's, he knows. He knows. You've got to make sure it's okay between you and him. I'm only responsible for me at the end of the day. I can cry up here and pray for you, and I can say everything to hope that your heart gets stirred, but it's between you and him. And I've done my part, and now I've got to look now and spend time reflecting on my own situation. So when we come to church, why are we coming? And when we pray... Why are we praying? When we worship, I mean, just going down the list, why are you doing it? Is it to feel better? Is it to wash away the sins and the guilt because you were told to do so? Because you were raised in this environment? 
Or is it because it's the ever-beating existence of your heart to love God, to love people, to acknowledge who He is and give Him honor where honor is due? So more often than not, we should be showing love. We should have joy. We should be sharing our faith. We should be gathering with believers. We should be studying the Word. We should be praying following his commands. Um, We should be living in a state of gratitude. These things are happening more often than not. More often than not, we look more like Jesus than anything else. And that is our authentic life. So the rest of the evening is dedicated to you having one-on-one time uh, with God. So Krista and the team, they're going to lead us in several songs. And this is uninterrupted. This is where you're setting aside everything that you came in with and you are acknowledging who he is. You are showing gratitude. You are um, giving reverence. Um, Use this time to reflect on what's been said, what the Lord is stirring in your heart. Um, Use this time if needed to repent, to surrender, to call on the name of the Holy Spirit for whatever situation that you're in. And I I want to invite you to do what you need to do during this time. So the front of the altar is open. Um, It's not anything special. It's just sometimes when we take just that moment or that, that act of faith or just getting out of where we've been and going somewhere else, it helps us to have focus. So the altar is open for you at any point during worship. Also, um, stay at your seat if you feel more comfortable with that. And there are several ladies you can see, and I will be over there in a moment on the side of the room. And at any time while they're singing, if there's anything on your heart for prayer, whatever it may be, please come. And we have been praying over you. We've been praying over this evening, and we want to partner with you to encourage you and to love you. Uh, So, Lord, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you for who you are. I thank you for these ladies, Father, that right now we feel... We feel your presence, Lord, that you speak to us individually. Lord, that we may be challenged to grow in our relationship with you. I thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus.
those around me, Lord. Fill me, Lord. I want to be like you. Nothing I want more 
Your presence 
you're so good to us and we thank you for that Lord I thank you for what you've done in this place I thank you Lord for meeting us for speaking to us for teaching us Lord that it won't just be another lesson or knowledge that we took in but that will actually apply to our lives that it won't just be a moment of spending time with you, of worshiping, of reflecting, of surrendering, but it will be a lifestyle that we truly, truly look more like you every day and less like everything else. I thank you, Father. Yeah, in your name we pray. Amen. Ah, it's 